Good morning. I'm Nina Moyni. You're listening to NPR News. 206. That's how many people have died on Minnesota roads as of June 2021. And that's according to preliminary data from the Minnesota Office of Traffic Safety. That's nearly one-third more fatal crashes compared to the year before. And officials say that speeding has been the biggest factor in those deadly crashes. Speeding, reckless driving have skyrocketed during the pandemic. And this hour, we're going to talk about what's behind that increase and what we can do to stay safe on our roads, especially as traffic picks up again. And of course, we want to hear from you too. We're taking your calls. Uh, How has your driving changed during the pandemic? Did you uh, slow down? Maybe you find yourself speeding a little bit more. What are you seeing around you? How safe do you feel when you're driving and also biking and walking? We want to hear from everybody. So the phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. That's 651-227-6000. Or you can tweet me at Nina Moini. That's M-O-I-N-I. Let's bring in our guests. First, we have Nicole Morris, who is the director of the Human First Research Lab. She's also a researcher at the University of Minnesota Center for Transportation Studies. Thanks for being here, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. And we have Ashwa Narayanan, who is the executive director of Our Streets Minneapolis. Thanks for being here, Ashwa. Thank you so much, Nina. Happy to be here. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Everyone's seen it. It's kind of another one of these uh, fallout situations from the pandemic. It, it almost feels like. Nicole, I wanted to go to you first. And, we, you know, we talked about just the numbers of people who've been killed in traffic crashes in the last year. Can you break down sort of a little bit about what's going on? This isn't sort of an imagined increase on the part of everybody, right? Right. It's definitely had a big jump in fatal crashes in in 2021. And that's on top of what we saw was increasing fatal crash rates in 2020. The numbers that you started the show um, about the end of June are, are even more sort of sad to look at what's happened already mm-hmm. since July. We're at 258 deaths in Minnesota wow. um, at as the end of July. Um, so that's about 50 people, right? That's me. Yeah, sorry, yeah. me trying to do a uh, math there on the fly. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's really tragic. And that's really difficult. Um, I just wondered, um, what are some of the sort of the initial reasons? And I already see some callers here lining up, which is great. But what are what are some of the reasons? I mean, is it the pandemic? How do you really draw that correlation? I mean, you can't really find a cause, right? It's more of a correlation. That's right. But we can see that the the proportion of our fatal crashes are alarmingly involving um, great amounts of speeding. So mm-hmm. about 40% of our deaths have been speeding related. 26 are alcohol related. 21 of those deaths were people who were unbelted. So all of these are extremely preventable mm. and but but really speak to some of these growing problems that we have been seeing um, over the last decade but mm. really got sort of um, kicked into gear and and really bad during the pandemic that's so tough and and I feel like we have sort of two tracks here which is what people are seeing on the highways right and then Ashwa what people are seeing on just residential uh, city streets I mean you it's not really um, unheard of to hear someone speeding down those types of city streets what have you kind of seen or heard in the last year yeah um, so 
I think we have seen an uptick in increased speeding during the pandemic uh, on city streets as well. And I don't exactly know what some of the direct causes are, but mm-hmm. we have seen lower levels of traffic volume throughout the city and on our highways simply because fewer people are you know, driving to work like they used to. And so that might mean that there are more spaces, empty roads that people feel more comfortable speeding on. But I do want to place this in context of, of what we see as an epidemic of traffic crashes every single year in the United States. And this has gone back for decades. You know, in the city of Minneapolis, we see about a hundred people on average killed, uh, or fa- severely injured in a traffic crash in Minnesota, about 300 to 400 people, uh, over the last 10 years, every year. And in this, in the entire United States, we have a, between 38,000 and 43,000 people killed. And so this is not a new problem. This is an epidemic that we've been dealing with for a very long time, and I think exacerbated by the pandemic. Sure. And and Nicole, what's so striking, too, is that traffic, uh, we didn't have a lot of it, right, during the pandemic. So that's really notable. Right, absolutely. At the start of the, the lockdown, I think a lot of traffic safety professionals like myself were thinking, oh, this might be really good for right. our, our fatal crash rates. But but really not appreciating that that traffic, the congestion tends to really slow down drivers. And we also know that the availability of on-street parking, so the more sort of objects that you have at the roadway edges do slow down drivers. So also losing vehicles on the street also creates this sort of open runway for people to to go really as fast as they would like. Oh, that's so tough. I want to go to the phones here. We have Kelly from White Bear Lake. Kelly, you wanted to talk a little bit about what you've noticed in your commutes. Yeah, since the pandemic hit and we're not getting the usual gridlock uh, traffic on the highways and byways, uh, the dilemma I've run into is that you have the speed demons who are going well over the posted speed limit. And then in the other lane, we have so many motorists who are going at the minimum posted speed Mm. limit or even lower. And then for those of us who want to drive right around the speed limit, maybe even a little higher, we have trouble changing lanes or or being able to just go at the posted speed limit. Mm. And it's, it's made it very dangerous. For a lot of us, right, right here in the metro, and when I travel in into uh, Greater Minnesota, uh, fortunately, I haven't seen any of the the street racing that uh, hmm. has been posted all over social media, which has been going on in the city or elsewhere. Thankfully, I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, that's been. Um it's been interesting to see some of the images that have come out of Minneapolis. Ashwa, do you have any thoughts on, I just want to take a moment on the speed racing thing for anyone who's not, uh, you know, from around here, but um, there have been some instances of that that people have recorded and um, that have led to some tragedies, right? What are your thoughts on that? Does that seem to have increased? I can't really speak to whether speed racing has directly contributed to increased fatal crashes as the trend that we're seeing. I mm-hmm. think there have been instances of you know, people hanging out and doing donuts on large intersections in the city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. But in line with the trends we've been seeing for several years, fatal crashes continue to go up. Uh, and I think that is a result of uh, how we've often designed our streets to prioritize speed over the safety of people using them. 
Hmm. Nicole, have you heard much about maybe how streets were being used during the pandemic or kind of street racing or anything along those lines? So certainly we have had reports of street racing going up or, or as Ash had said, some donuts happening at intersections. There's, you know, a similar type of increase in, in drivers fleeing from the police when they're pulled over. So these numbers uh, have been steadily climbing since um, early 2000s. In 2015, we had about 1,300 drivers reported uh, to be fleeing from police in Minnesota. And as of 2020, that number is well over 3,000. So we've had a really um, strong s- increase in the number of which people are um, you know, fleeing from police in a motor vehicle. And that can have really fatal and tragic outcomes. Yeah, I just think it's important to talk about sort of the range, right, of what we are seeing on the roads, because uh, there are road rage incidents, and then there's just reckless driving, and there's distracted driving. So there are a lot of uh, a different, um, you know, dangerous things that are going on there on the road. So it's just so important for people to pay attention. So I want to go to Zena in St. Paul, who always tries to go the speed limit. Zena, what are your thoughts? Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been in Minnesota for 27 years, and I've when I started living here, I would always go by the speed limit. However, I started noticing people getting upset with me, uh, honking at me, and giving me obscene gestures. So I mm-hmm. started speeding up. After I started speeding up, I started getting tickets. So now I'm back by the speed limit, but I see still people passing me, and I'm so tempted to go a little bit faster. Hmm. So so that's my experience. I don't think that that's that uncommon of a feeling where you feel like you're going the speed limit, but someone's kind of pushing pushing you a little bit to, to speed up. Nicole, I know you spoke with uh, our Mark Zedek like, recently about sort of the increase in reckless driving, and you, you mentioned it was caused sort of in part by this breakdown of some sort of a social contract. I found that really interesting. Could you just explain that a little bit and maybe how that's changed during the pandemic? Right. So so many of my colleagues have been talking about this concept of, of the social contract being broken. And so the idea behind this is there's really been lots of opportunity over the over the past decade for people to drive in this way, cross the center line and pass drivers right in the middle of the city. But we didn't see it to the same degree that we're seeing now. And so we see mm. that some of these these behaviors are increasing in a way that there was really nothing stopping it before. But all of a sudden, we're seeing uh, these these really dangerous behaviors happening inside the city and on the highway. And and I really empathize with the the caller because you know, I, I'm avid about following the speed limit, but yet I have people tailgating and crossing the center line to pass me. And, and it is a really frustrating and, and a scary experience. How do we do it safely? I agree. And it, it impacts everybody on the roads, uh, including pedestrians and bicyclists, we know. And I want to go to Caroline and Egan, who's a big runner. Hi, Caroline. Hi there. Good morning. Good morning. What did you want to share? Yeah, so my roommates and I have all, um, we're long-time runners. We're very used to the kind of the nuanced things that cars do on side streets oftentimes, not looking before they turn, that kind of thing. So we've always been very careful in crosswalks. But something we have all noticed 
recently is people just kind of going through stop signs. So I was curious to hear if that's been something others have reported or, yeah, just curious to hear thoughts on that. Sure, just the range of of rules that maybe there's um, trends that people are breaking. Ashwa, what do you think about that? Um, Just sort of the impact there on, I know they're in Egan, but what do you see with the impact on runners and, you know, just pedestrians, bicyclists? To get to uh, Zena's point that was made earlier and Caroline's as well, uh, I do want to point out that people drive at the speed that the roadway kind of tells them to go. So if a street mm. feels like it, you know, it has wide travel lanes and it has, uh, you know, offers high speeds, people tend to drive at speed regardless of what the speed limit is. And so while lowering speed limits is an important first step in getting towards better safety, we also need to change the nature of the roadways themselves to make drivers feel comfortable going at a lower speed limit. So I I completely empathize with Xena. Uh, We also have seen a trend uh, over the last few years of pedestrians increasingly being hurt or killed in traffic crashes. And there's several reasons I think that are uh, behind that, uh, but pedestrians are, are one of our most vulnerable users on the street, and I think we need to take special measures to make sure that uh, pedestrians are able to navigate the city easily and comfortably. Sure. Nicole, do you have anything to add there? Right. So we know that drivers get cues from from a variety of sources about how fast they should be going. And, and like Ash said, they certainly get a lot of cues from the roadway design. Does the roadway tell me I can go really fast or does this feel really constrained and I need to be slow and careful? But we also get a ton of cues from other drivers. Mm. And that's where this really social interaction becomes really critical, where we look at the people around us, how fast are they going? And we tend to really match that speed. So as people are are listening and thinking, well, I'm not going 20 over, I'm going five over. Well, that's also contributing to your peers who are also going to match your speed and potentially go even a bit faster. We're all really contributing to this system. We're all contributing to everyone going at unsafe speeds to where people are going to be killed. I think you make an interesting point, which is that, you know, when you're sitting in your own car and you're doing your own thing, it's it's easy enough to think that your actions don't impact everybody around you. But we're all obviously uh, sharing, you know, the roadways. So it, it's just interesting to see. And I know that there's some people who, um, you know, drive around a lot for work. I think that John in Minneapolis is an example of that. Or John, did you want to share what you've seen on the roads? Yeah, I think that I think that with the what I've noticed during the pandemic, and I've sold cars for about 20, 21 years now, oh. and the average age of the extremely exotic, fast, powerful cars dropped over the last year or so based on money that they're re- they're making off of, you know, alternative investments like Dogecoin and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. And I think um, the problem is when you get a younger buyer – buying an exotic car, their skill level doesn't match the performance capabilities of that car. And uh, I mean, I'm seeing more of that where we're seeing younger buyers buying exotic, powerful cars. And, um, you know, people end up racing those cars because they want to. It's, it's not always the person in the exotic car that does something, but it's people around them too. And um, I think that that's something we're seeing that's unique for our market. Um, as we see more exotics come into our marketplace here in the in the Midwest. 
that is interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I want to go to another caller now, Anna in Minneapolis, who wanted to share a story with us. Hi, Anna. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, It's been a long while now since I've noticed that people just don't pay attention when they drive. Um, You know, people not looking in their blind spot, people merging into other lanes when it's not safe to do so, people Mm. not looking uh, uh, while backing up. Um, And, you know, things like that really impact people's lives if they get into an accident. Um, I myself have been in an accident within the uh, last couple of years and have mm. sustaining injuries from that. Um, my partner has been in three accidents wow. in the past few years, no fault of his own. Um, in my accident, no fault of my own. And it's just people not paying attention when they're driving. And so I just kind of want to bring light to um, just the impact that reckless driving and not paying attention has on other people's lives. Um, and, you know, sustaining injuries, concussions, you know, things like that. And, and not only that, but the financial mm. um, impact that it can have on people's lives as well. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing that. I'm sorry that you all had to endure that. But I think that it's really important to talk about because, you know, people are fortunate enough to have never been in that experience. They may think that it's not going to happen to me or, you know, but uh, the odds are are there. I don't know. When you hear that, Ashwat, what do you think when you hear about people's experiences like that? Do you encounter people in your work who have, have been through, you know, being victims of those types of crashes, whether they be pedestrians or drivers? Absolutely. Uh, it is just a really sad reality that every single one of us knows someone who's been hurt or killed mm-hmm. in a car crash, whether it's a family member or a friend. It's just very, very normal in our society. And that is, to me, unacceptable. We just accept this as the cost of doing business. And I don't think that, uh, you know, that should, I think we should change that. Um, I think that uh, we have all the tools available to build a system that really prioritizes the safety of people using our transportation networks. And we just need to find the will to kind of implement them. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, uh, Nicole, that um, drivers are, you know, more at risk in, in cities or on highways? Or what, what's your experience of those two driving experiences? What are you finding? Yeah, so we often think about the the cities as where we would see a lot of this reckless driving. And, and certainly we do have a lot of deaths in the Twin Cities. When you look at the number of deaths we have in Ramsey County and Hennepin County combined, that makes up about 20% of our fatal crashes in the state of Minnesota each year. So that means 80% of the remaining deaths are distributed across the state, largely in rural areas. So so this is this is not a problem just to the Twin Cities. This is really a statewide issue where we're losing um, our, you know, our beloved family members and, and friends every single day to these tragic crashes that, that are so preventable. Largely preventable, yeah. Uh, but on the topic of Minneapolis, just kind of shifting gears to, you know, what do we do about these these problems right now? Because we're still in the pandemic, but people are back on the roads and, and those, you know, mitigating factors are, are still very much there. And I'm getting some comments here that are talking about feeling like there's a lack of enforcement. Ashwat, particularly in Minneapolis, um, we you know we know there has been uh, staffing shortages, or that the police department uh, wants more staff and more officers. But I wondered what your experience has been, um, just in terms of enforcement, and if you find that that's kind of where the focus should be. 
Great question, Nina. Uh, what we found in Minneapolis is that there is a network of streets that tend to have more crashes on them. And the city of Minneapolis calls this the high injury crash network. And the vast majority of our most severe and fatal crashes tend to happen on those streets. So these are streets like Lake Street, Hennepin Avenue, West Broadway Avenue, all of which share similar characteristics. They have um, wide travel lanes. They usually are what are called four-lane undivided streets, where mm. there's a lot of merging and weaving that happens on those streets. And then it's not a good experience for people who are biking or walking or taking the bus on those streets as well. And so we have these low-hanging fruit uh, type uh, corridors where we can start addressing um, uh, interventions right away and changing the nature of those streets. And we don't think that traffic enforcement uh, is necessarily a good way to get to safer streets simply because of um, the uh, devastating impact it can often have on community members who are or- already marginalized, uh, Black people, uh, Native community members who already are at greater risk of being hurt or killed in a traffic crash. A recent report by the Star Tribune found that in the last five years, 78% of the people stopped and searched by Minneapolis police were people of East African or Black descent. And they make up a very small portion of our entire state. And so this disparity really is unacceptable. And often it can have devastating consequences for people like Philando Castile, who was uh, shot and killed by a police officer at the end of a traffic stop. And so we think that the way to make streets safer is really by focusing our efforts and our investment into building safer streets and not necessarily uh, bringing in police that can really affect uh, our marginalized communities even more. Thank you. I want to go to Jeff, uh, who's a Minneapolis resident. Jeff, what is your experience with it? Sounds like you're wanting to see more enforcement. Yes, Mimi. Excuse me. Yes, I would like to see um, more enforcement because there's a lack of enforcement. And when I have reached out to various city council members, so several of them, they have clearly stated in writing to me that there really is no money for enforcement right now because we are down so many officers. So it seems to me that there there's a battle that's going on within uh, City Hall amongst the um, city council that some are actually putting um, police reform over public safety as a, you know, as a whole, because I'm experiencing all of this speeding, especially on Friday and Saturday nights along Washington Avenue and downtown, just ride your bike or go out for a stroll and you'll see that there's motorcycles and cars and there's racing engines and you'll call the police and they'll try to get on it. But it's a game of cat and mouse is what it becomes, and then they move to other streets throughout downtown and just all throughout the city. And there's just no enforcement anywhere right now because they claim they can't enforce it. It would be nice if Hennepin County would pick up, but that doesn't seem to be occurring either. Mm -hmm. Jeff, thank you for calling. I I hear the the frustration in in your voice there, and it is so interesting, the the different nuances around how how to solve these Problems, but I want to go to one more caller, and then we'll go to a news break. But this is uh, we're going to talk to Hannah in Maple Grove, who brings up an interesting point. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Um, I'm just calling because I've noticed a lot more road construction happening, um, and so there's people crossing solid white lines. Um, traffic has kind of changed, and people aren't used to that. And I'm wondering, kind of, if that has an impact in in crashes that we're seeing um, Mm -hmm. with people just not 
recognizing the roads that they're used to anymore. Sure. Nicole, what do you think about that? So road construction certainly presents novel challenges to drivers where, you know, driving is already complex and then you're, you're presented with a, an even more complex roadway. And so there is increased risk to drivers into crash rates and a, and a, in a work zone, but we tend to see those as a overall a small proportion of the total okay. crashes. Typically, people get in fatal crashes when it's sunny, clear, wide roads, and they go as fast as they'd like. Okay. Thank you so much to everyone who's been calling and holding for a little bit. What are you seeing out there on the roads? The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or tweet me at Nina Moini. It's M-O-I. And right now we're going to bring in another guest. We have Ethan Foley on the line, who's the Vision Zero Program Coordinator for the city of Minneapolis. Hi, Ethan. Hi, Nina. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I know, um, you know, if you've heard, we have had a lot of folks from Minneapolis uh, calling in um, throughout the show and uh, just experiencing different challenges that, again, are not unique to uh, Minneapolis. But I wondered uh, from your perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what your program sort of aims to do and, and kind of how that's going during the pandemic? Yeah, the city of Minneapolis has a goal to eliminate all traffic deaths and severe injuries on our streets. And Vision Zero is the city's effort to make progress towards that goal. And so one of we have seen an increase, especially since the pandemic and the, over the last year, in those severe and fatal crashes in Minneapolis has been noted. At the same time, we have seen a, a pretty significant reduction in total crashes. So it's it really is getting at a lot of the factors that have been talked about already on the show. Um, but we know that these traffic deaths and severe injuries are preventable and unacceptable. And so we have outlined a number of strategies that we can take to make progress towards getting to zero, which is the only acceptable thing. People should be safe traveling our streets. Yeah. And I wondered how you feel like uh, speed limits are influencing that or, you know, changing of speed limits, enforcement of speed limits uh, during the pandemic. So last year, the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul did lower our speed limits on city streets. Um, On our local city streets, those are like the quiet most uh, residential local streets, mm-hmm. uh, the speed limit is 20 miles an hour. And then on busier streets, it's either 25 or still 30 or higher on a few streets and in and, and both cities. So what I think it's important to know when we talk about speed is that speed is always a factor in severe and fatal crashes because higher speeds increase the likelihood that a, a crash is going to turn from a fender bender into something that forever changes somebody's life. And that's so a lot of the crashes that we, we see aren't aren't just people be hit, driving recklessly or other things like that. And that's increased a lot in this last year. We can talk about that. It's an important part of it. But it's also just people going about their everyday business. And so what we know is if we can lower that speed, of, um, you know, five miles an hour and in areas where there are lots of people walking or biking or just lots of people doing things in the city, that can have a and does have a big impact on safety. But we also know that the speed limit alone isn't enough. We have to be able to address these other elements of, um, of supporting safe and uh, safe speeds and safe streets. I want to go to uh, John in Bloomington, who has some thoughts on what his streets are looking like. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm a retired truck driver and uh, 
I try to obey the speed limits. Uh, I do go two or three miles over the speed limit, so uh, people are still passing me on the freeway. So um, I, I stay in the right-hand lane or middle lane, but I don't drive in the left-hand lane unless I'm passing. But okay. the thing that really gets me is the city streets. Uh, a good example is uh, 90th Street in Bloomington. used to be four lanes in each direction for the traffic. Now it's down to three lanes, and the center lane is only for people turning left. Um, that's got to contribute to some people getting really mad and creating road rage. Um, these bicycle lanes that they're they're putting in the city streets. Uh, another one is Portland Avenue, three lanes going south from downtown Minneapolis. They took over a whole lane, and now it's down to two lanes going south. Why can't they put the bike lanes on a a, a parallel street that doesn't get the, the amount of traffic that that goes on Portland Avenue? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's about all I have to say. Thank you, John, for calling. And I think. Uh this is an important point, right, especially when we're talking about um, our city streets and how do we all share the city streets and how do we keep everybody safe from drivers to pedestrians to bicyclists. Uh, Ashwa, I want to go to you because obviously um, you know, you're a proponent of, of bike lanes, I, I would imagine. This is something that gets people really fired up is uh, how are we going to use our roads? Uh, what would your thoughts be on John's comments and his frustrations? Yeah. So if you look at the entirety of streets within the city of Minneapolis today, nearly a third of all of our land within the city is actually in the public right of way. So that means that they are streets and a vast majority of all of our streets today are given over to the movement or the storage of cars for parking. And um, that means that cars have um, most of the streets to be able to do, you know, whatever they want. And so what we are saying is that people need to be able to access city in a variety, access the city in a variety of ways, whether that's driving, but also biking and walking and rolling and taking public transit. And so those modes need to be accommodated for as well. And the city of Minneapolis has a goal of having three out of every five trips be made by a mode other than driving by 2030 in the new City of Minneapolis Transportation Action Plan. And so we think that in order to get to a safer system, we need to be investing in safer uh, accommodations for those other modes as well. So that includes protected bike infrastructure along all major thoroughfares, because, you know, Portland Avenue is not just being used by cars. It's also being used by many different people to access uh, the the myriad resources that are available along those communities, uh, also by biking, also by walking and by taking public transit. And so uh, today, the reality is that a very, very small proportion of our uh, network actually has safe accommodations for all of these other modes. And we think in order to get to a better, safer system, we have to be investing in those modes as well. And we do see when the number of people who bike, the number of people who walk, and the number of people who take public transit goes up, safety improves for users all across the system. And one specific way to actually get that is the four to three lane conversions that uh, John was talking about, where the four lane undivided streets have higher crash rates and a four to three lane conversion actually improves safety uh, across the board. And we also see that traffic flow doesn't necessarily get impacted at all. And uh, Ethan, I, I want to go to you on that, obviously, as a part of the city of Minneapolis. How um, how do bike lanes and sort of sharing the roads with pedestrians, how does that factor into your your vision zero or you, sort of the way that you man the program? 
Yeah, definitely. So first of all, the, the two types of streets examples that John uh, shared are two of examples of the most unsafe types of streets we see in cities. So a four-lane street like um, Ash has talked about and John mentioned on 90th Street in, in Bloomington, and then a three-lane uh, one-way street like Park Avenue or Portland Avenue used to be and sections mm-hmm. still are. So those are, they are fast moving for cars and also have a lot of safety challenges. And so this is the push-pull where we are working to improve safety so that we don't have those tragedies and we need to address these streets like those. Um, and the balance, when we look at people should be safe no matter how they choose to get around our city. And mm-hmm. we do want to support people being able to walk, bike, and take transit more. And we know that people who are walking and biking in Minneapolis right now are more likely to be severely injured or killed in a crash. And so that's unacceptable. People should be safe no matter how they get around. And so we do need to invest in um, in more safe pedestrian crossings and more um, protected bike lanes and other things. And the city has, over the last 20 or so years, has invested in a lot of new bike lanes. We've roughly tripled our uh, number of bike bikeways in the city of Minneapolis in the last 20 years. In that same time, we have also made it greatly safer for people biking around the city. So it's also about three times safer to bicycle commute in Minneapolis now than it was 20 years ago. So those protected bike lanes and other bike lanes have um, saved lives and allow more people to get out there and choose to bike because they now feel safer and more comfortable. Nicole, what do you think about this um, this logic or this idea that, uh, you know, maybe bike lanes or pedestrians make drivers angry? Is this something that I'm, I'm sure a lot of drivers do get angry, but what, what do you, is there research around that or social research? What do you think there? Right. So my team is across the, the Twin Cities doing a pedestrian safety study where we're crossing 32 intersections and seeing a variety of of feedback from drivers. And, and it's really interesting because pedestrians who approach us are really happy that we're there and, and thankful for the research that we're doing. Drivers don't always feel the same and, and like to shout a few choice words at mm-hmm. us just simply because we've crossed the street and inconvenienced them in a, in a short amount of time. So there, there is a push-pull of sort of who owns the road, and, and I think we all need to take a step back and, and go back to this idea that we all deserve to be able to get to where we want to go safely. And, and certainly some of these busy roadways, when the more lanes of travel that we have for cars to go on, the more exposure pedestrians have to being struck. So we really need to shrink down the amount of distance pedestrians need to travel to get across the street to protect them. Mm-hmm. It's just also interesting because it feels so ego based in that most of the time if someone's walking down the street, they're not doing anything to you or if someone's driving or, you know, makes an error, it's nothing personal, but sometimes people personalize it. And, you know, that's how things can really escalate. Uh, I want to go to Mark in Hugo, who is kind of trying to navigate teaching his daughter how to drive and uh, all of those different things come into play. Mark, what are your comments? Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So um, it's scary. That's my main comment. I bet mm-hmm. you I age 10 years every time we go out driving. And it's <laughs> not usually through fault of her. Um, for instance, last night we had to go out and do some night driving. Now, this is a 15-year-old who wants her 
license test right when she turned 16, which sure. is this weekend. So um, we're going to be taking her test, but we're doing some night driving on the freeway, and it's, it's a 70-mile-an-hour zone, and there are people just tailgating her or us, uh, swinging around us, and then you see people blasting by on your left at, you know, at least 80, some even faster. It was it was crazy, and kids that age, they don't have the experience that uh, some of us do, you know, driving many, many years. So um, they don't have that way to anticipate what another driver can do. You know, we've all been driving, and we can kind of tell when someone's going to change lanes, even yeah. though they're not signaling. Or yeah. And then uh, it doesn't help either when people are, um, rolling through stop signs, um, zooming out into the roundabouts, things like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of scary. I don't know how I can really change it, but it makes me scared for her when she's driving and I'm not in the car later on to kind of give her some guidance. Yeah, it's one of those things you have to learn by doing, unfortunately. Right. So, um, you know, I wish her a very happy birthday and I wish you both oh. um, well and good luck on that test. And I just, you know, I wonder with people who are just beginning to drive, Nicole, if you feel like there's um, any sort of dynamics about age that are going into what we're seeing. Is this an older driver, younger driver thing? Um, another thing Mark mentioned was driving at nighttime. And I just wondered if it's a nighttime, daytime thing. It doesn't seem so. Right. So we typically see um, the the most fatal crashes happening during the day when it's sunny, but there is increased risk, obviously, at night. And for young drivers, we have an immense amount of risk. So if you're going to have an early and untimely death, the most likely time is between the ages of 16 and 17. And the reason is driving. So it is extremely dangerous. And and I think that parents need to, to take the task very seriously, and, and if need be, delay driving while teens really mature, because we do know that immaturity is a big component, especially with young males and speeding. So when, when a young teen male is driving and he has teen passengers in the vehicle, the risk of fatal crash is exponential hmm. with each new teen passenger that is male in the vehicle. So, so those are certainly the types of things that parents really need to be mindful of. Um, and I think some of the problems that we've been seeing during the pandemic with um, young people out of school, potentially not working, and it giving, giving them more opportunity to be on the road and doing those sort of useful things that, that are fun, certainly for them in the moment. But we don't want driving to be the last fun thing they ever do. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's everything's been closed and people have been out of school um, physically. So, I mean, that's been difficult. Um, I want to go to Vicki in, in Elk River. Hi, Vicki. Hi. Hi. What do you want to share? Oh, my comment connects a little to Mark's and to the last comment about how dangerous driving is. Mm-hmm. You have a 2,000 pound machine and a hundred and some pound person. But, right. you know, we take a driver's ad and that test at age eight, uh, 16, and I believe if we want better accountability for better drivers, that we could require more frequent education, training, a brush up on the rules, and testing. That's interesting. Thank you for that. I'm seeing actually a lot of people who seem to think, you know, why don't we have to sort of renew our, <laughs> you know, our driving abilities? I don't know, Nicole, is that something that you found that might be a helpful way to sort of keep people accountable? I do think that there's a lot of opportunity to improve the continuing education that we have for drivers nationwide and certainly in the state of Minnesota. 
Um, you know, I, I was speaking with someone recently about the Minnesota crosswalk law, and they referred to it as the St. Paul crosswalk law because they thought it was a law just for St. Paul. And that crosswalk law where you have to stop for pedestrians in a crosswalk is statewide. So certainly we have big gaps in knowledge mm -hmm. about our laws, and it really would be useful to have people freshen up every few years. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, let's go to Christine in Minneapolis. Hi, Christine. Hi. Um, I live in South Minneapolis, and I travel all over the metro for work. And one of the biggest impacts for my driving is the road construction on 35W, mm. and particularly the closure of the downtown interchange of 35 North to 94 West. All residents of South Minneapolis who want to go west of the city have to take Lindale or Hennepin to get onto the freeway, to get onto 394 or 94. And so I've heard a lot of complaining about how those two streets are dangerous and so much is going on, but every so many more people have to go there due to the construction that I think that's a it's kind of inevitable. And until that interchange opens up, we're going to continue to have a lot more traffic over there. I also think having all the exits closed in South Minneapolis or, and on ramps um, or having very limited on and exit ramps from 35W, it makes everybody go to the 46th Street exit and on ramp. Um, sure. And there's a lot of backup there. And then as we're all spending all this extra time just trying to get to the freeway, then the city lowers the speed limit, which takes more time. And then I often feel like every turn I make, there's more construction on city streets. And I sometimes wonder, like, are they trying to push us to the brink here of not being able to get anywhere? Oh. <laughs> well, I didn't want to have to do the old cheesy joke about the two seasons in Minnesota of winter and a construction season. But so I think um, Christy makes a good point, which is just about people having to take city streets when there's a lot of construction on the highways. And then that creates more congestion. Um, Ashwat, what are your thoughts on that? I think that is absolutely true that people are often forced to take uh, major thoroughfares like Lindale during times of construction when uh, places like 35W are closed. However, one way to actually improve safety for everybody using uh, these streets is to reduce the need to drive to get places. So it might be that if, if there are protected bike infrastructure and better pedestrian uh, infrastructure and marked crosswalks, like Nicole was saying, uh, it may be that people choose to travel differently and they might choose to walk to the grocery store instead of uh, driving. They may, uh, you know, uh, bike to the, to work instead. And we've seen that the more people choose to use, uh, modes like biking and walking and rolling, there, there comes a point when, um, you know, safety improves for everybody. And so I think that one way to address this is to really change the character of these streets to improve access to different modes uh, so people can use the city in whatever way they feel is most comfortable for them. Sure. Talking more there about a long-term, you know, approach, I would imagine, Ethan, I just wonder what you think about, you know, I'm assuming there's coordination, right, between the city and between MnDOT when, when all that construction's going on, but you sort of can't help but have an effect, right? And what can be done about something like that short term? Yeah, definitely. It is, is a challenge, especially with these bigger projects that are many years. And so I think we're all happy that 35W construction will be mostly wrapping up this fall. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it does have an impact, uh, you know, kind of through the system, 
um, as the caller had noted. And there is a lot of coordination ongoing that the city um, public works department has with MnDOT and just trying to arrange those things and, and make it as as best as we can, you know. And then mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what we have to do is sort of balance. And in the end, construction is a necessary reality to maintain the system that people uh, need and are using. And we have to do it both on our local system and on, on the state system. So there's this tricky balance where we all invest in it and we all deal with the challenges that come with it um, so that we can continue to have a system that people can use. Sure. It's it's just part of um, what everybody has to deal with in a year or two almost where people have been dealing with a lot of stuff and, and patience is kind of running thin. Um, this point I really wanted to focus on a little bit. Uh, Nicole, this was something that we, we learned from, from you that traffic um, accidents were down, but fatalities were up? Or can you just can you just talk about the, you know, the differences between kind of what led to this, the instances of more fatal crashes? Right. So when we think about just the physics of a crash, um, you you may have fewer crashes, but if those crashes are happening at a higher rate, then it's more likely to result in a death. And so often we have, you know, thousands and thousands of crashes every year, and but few of them tend to be fatal. But but we're seeing fewer crashes, certainly just because fewer vehicles were on the roadway. But right. per vehicle miles traveled, we were seeing an increase. So the, the likelihood if a vehicle was on the road and it was going to crash went up, and the likelihood that it was going to be a fatal crash also went up. And we know that those are tied to speed, that, that this is just simply a, a matter of physics. All right. Well, we have just a few minutes left. If I did want to ask each of you just sort of uh, one thing that you hope could be changed or one thing you would think would be really helpful um, if you could pick just to try to keep everybody more safe. And Ashwa, I'll start with you. So my biggest thing would be to make the streets that are dangerous less dangerous today uh, simply by a few um infrastructure improvements that we can do today with the resources that we have. So narrowing the lane widths so that car drivers go slower, improving pedestrian infrastructure and improving bike protected bike infrastructure and making sure that crosswalks are uh, well lit and uh, designated so, so drivers know to stop for them. Yeah, it's interesting. You've mentioned narrowing lanes a couple times. And as a driver, my first thought is, oh, I don't know about narrow lanes, but I'm assuming you're talking about, you know, within reason in a, in a safe way. Yes, not not narrow enough that a car couldn't pass through. Right. Them, but there is a huge impact between a 12-foot lane, for example, and a 10-foot lane yeah. where uh, you don't actually see a big difference in how much uh, congestion happens. But we do see a huge impact in uh, lower speeds and improved safety. Thank you for that. Nicole, what about you? What would be really helpful? So I think that there's a a few really simple things that drivers can do to make sure that everyone gets home safely. So that's following the speed limit, don't drink and drive, and and wear your your seatbelt every trip, every seat. So so those are really simple things that, that can help us prevent these crashes. One thing that my team has been asking is that people participate in what we're calling the Twin Cities Safety Cup Pledge. And, and this is certainly for um, people all over the state of Minnesota. But if they go to tcsafetycup.umn.edu, they can see a, a pledge that we have 
for drivers, cyclists, and pedestrians. We're asking them to commit to five simple things that will help everyone get home safely. We just can't afford as a society to continue to have the deaths at the rate that we're having. Hmm. We expect over 400 families to be shattered this year by deaths on our roadways. It costs over $1.8 billion to the state of Minnesota, to our society, for the crashes that we have each year. We can't continue like this. Yeah, and the fact that we still, you know, need to tell people to buckle up and all these simple preventable things. Got about 30 seconds, Ethan. Any last thoughts from you? Well, and I'll just note that in the city, we are working on things to make our streets safer. Uh, We are working to prioritize safety investments on our high-injury streets, which we've got a bunch of new things coming online. And then we get uh, a lot of requests for speed humps and other things that will will help slow down uh, folks. And uh, we're working on expanding some of those and having new systems that we can handle all those community requests and get them out to make streets safer for everyone. Thank you so much to all of my guests. Join us tomorrow. We'll be talking about COVID. This conversation was produced by NPR Samantha Matsumoto. You've been listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. You can hear Dan Crocker, Nina Moyni, Chris Farrell, and other guest hosts during a live call-in show at 9 a.m. weekdays throughout the month of August. Looking for Carrie Miller? She's back talking about books and ideas at 11 a.m. every Friday starting September 10th. Thanks for listening.